Are you not sure if the child is yours? Are you pregnant and unsure if the child is his? Assurance DNA is here to help you find the answers to your questions. Assurance DNA is a paternity testing service with access to over 5,000 testing locations across the country. They provide legal paternity testing and home paternity test kits. Can't leave the house? Assurance DNA has a network of mobile collectors that can come to you. Assurance DNA has partnered with DNA Diagnostics Center, a trusted source for DNA testing since 1995. At Assurance DNA, you're not just a number. Your family. When you call, you'll speak to a paternity testing expert who will guide you through the entire process. Order a home paternity test kit today and get 10% off. Yes, 10% off by using the special code MISGUIDED at checkout. Everyone's situation is unique. So visit AssuranceDNA.com to schedule a free consultation or give them a call now at 877-362-6450. Assurance DNA, confidence in knowing. Why the world make me feel misguided? I can't hide it, I'ma shake the globe, change it. Why they don't share this? Who else know this? I smell rodents, I'ma shake the globe till they feel it. Why the world make me feel misguided? I can't hide it, I'ma shake the globe, change it. Why they don't share this? Who else know this? I smell rodents, I'ma shake the globe till they feel it. What's up, everybody? This is the Misguided Podcast. We intend to guide you to a better future. The purpose of this podcast is to do exactly that. We will dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and highlight what makes them successful, but also pinpoint mistakes they've made and how to improve them. Our goal is to make you start thinking about building generational wealth through business. I hope you enjoy, and if you do, please rate this podcast and leave a review. And now, let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Jawan Rohan, and this is the Misguided Podcast. We're intending to guide you to a better future. I'm sitting here with Allison and Dylan from Retire by 45. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Thanks, Jawan. Doing great, Jawan. Thank you. Of course. I appreciate you guys coming up here and talking. Um, and and you're, you're about to drop some real good knowledge on how we can retire early. So um, I'm super so. excited. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you guys. And I'm really excited because you guys are from the Bay Area. So um, I, you know, I, I, I love this. And, and maybe one day we'll sit down and have some coffee together. Um, exactly. so, That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we're craving well, human interaction. <laughs> oh, man, I am too. I am too. And, and I have a two-year-old who is just craving uh, socialization from the kids and yeah. I took him to the park yesterday and he's everywhere. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to interact. Right. So it's- <laughs> I think we've all forgotten, you know? Yeah, <laughs> true, true. There's no more handshakes. It's like weird. It's like, how do you, you know, right. what do you do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Very, very, <laughs> very true. But um, let's go ahead and get right into it. So uh, who are you guys? And let, let's, let's let the audience know why I'm interviewing you. <laughs> Ladies first. Uh, Yeah, so my name's Allison, and I'm originally from New York, which is actually where we met. Um, We moved out here about 26 years ago now, so we're kind of, we're Bay Area transplants, I I, I guess you'd say. Um, You know, we worked in the tech space, uh, not as developers, which is like the normal normal profession for people in the FIRE community, which in case your listeners don't know, FIRE stands for Financial Independence 
retire early. Um, so yeah, we were in the technical space. We worked at a bunch of startups and along the way, uh, but our uh, original, when we first met, we were restaurant servers. Oh, wow. Yeah. In, in Times Square in New York City. Oh, you were so, busy. Yeah, in the mid 90s. And it was a um, it was a theme restaurant called the All Star Cafe. So kind of like the Hard Rock Cafe, but for sports. And it was owned by some of the, the uh, celebrity owners were Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Andre Agassi, Ken Griffey, um, Joe Wayne, Montana. Wayne wow. Wayne. Yeah. Big time so. people. So you guys both worked there at the same restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, we were both restaurant servers and we kind of saw each other across the a room like the hmm. beginning of a shift and she yeah. stalked me, Juwan, and she uh, she, uh, she lured me onto the volleyball team that we had. Yeah. I had never played before. She's like, oh, he's tall. He's 6'3". We're going to put him on the volleyball team. And uh, she was a volleyball player in high school. So, nice. but, um, but that's how we met. And, and Alice, as Allison said, we moved out to the Bay Area in the mid-90s. And so uh, we've been out here for quite a while. And we'll talk, I'm sure you'll ask us questions about what we're doing now. But uh, essentially what we did or what we've been doing for the past uh six years is working on a website called retirebyforty-five.com <laughs> where we blog and now we uh we're also authors as well so love it love it um wow that's crazy that i just meeting at a restaurant it's almost like a movie especially in like new york times square right? like, you guys is a movie that's cute. It was pretty cool <laughs> i actually moved there from uh columbus ohio where that's where i went to high school and college so oh, okay me, it was totally i uh, kind of blew my mind living i was living in manhattan at the time so working in Times Square was just, it was really wild. Yeah, me. that's cool. What what made you guys go to the Bay Area? Like new, I mean, both crazy places, both very vibrant, especially in the 90s. So what made that move? We actually, he wanted to go out to San Francisco for vacation. He had never been. And I, I had been there because I actually was looking at colleges when, um, you know, when I was in high school and I looked at Cal and I looked at Stanford. Mm. Um, so I'd been there before. And so we just came out here on vacation and just never went back. Yeah, it was so funny, Juwan. Yeah, we when we got out here, we just sort of fell in love with it right away. And we just called up our boss and was like, we're not coming back for any shifts. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to stay out here. Yeah. Well, and, how'd you uh, how'd you guys find a place to live? Oh, oh my God. Wow. It was tough. It's, yes. it's really hard to find a place to live when you don't have a job. And it's hard to find a job when you don't have a place to live. Um, so we, we were living in like the weekly, um, like a weekly hotel in uh -huh. the tender knob. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, it was like rent a room for a week. And then we were, we would run up to the, the Hilton over on Van Ness Avenue with a roll of dimes yeah. and go to the payphone and, you know, call people looking for jobs and looking for apartments to rent. And it, it was you know, it was kind of a weird. Yeah, it was before cell phones. I had a pager. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I actually yeah. had one. I had one. It was my dad's though, but I had one. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's pretty funny. Yeah, so we were, we that was the only way that people could get a hold of us was through my pager, hmm. and uh, I was actually trying to be an actor at the time too. So I was using my pager for trying to get acting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird time, but it was a lot of fun. Nice, nice. So when you when you got to San Francisco, did you find and you guys got settled in? Um, you said you worked in the tech industry. Did you work for some tech company out here that was a startup or something? Or, or? Um, yeah. So well, I, it's funny because we we both worked at the same startup for like a week, 
Um, you guys love working then, at the same job, huh? <laughs> yeah, both work in customer service. And yeah. then, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity to work at a consulting company as an executive assistant. And I thought, well, one of us should probably go into this, you know, stay in the startup world because who knows, you know, back in the late nineties, nobody knew what startups were. Yeah. Um, and, but we, everybody knows what a consultant is. So I thought, all right, one of us should go into the stable, you know, the stable side of, of things. And then, you know, the other one can go off and kind of do weird, quirky things in startups. Yeah. And we'll see, you know, at least there's like, you know, some stability. Uh -huh. uh, so I went into, I worked for a company called Anderson Consulting, which uh, eventually became a company called Accenture, which is one of the, the top consulting companies out there. Uh, but I was an executive assistant for three years. Um, mm. So, you know, kind of supporting other partners, you know, booking travel for them, writing, you know, creating PowerPoint presentations and that sort yeah. of thing. Okay. Um, she was always the smarter, more stable person, Juan. So and you were, you were the riskier one? <laughs> yeah, I think so. so I, much. I, uh, I, I worked for um, uh, the company that I started with in the tech sector was called Home Shark. So like Loan Shark, but mm -hmm. for homes. And they had like all these sharks as their paraphernalia and their mascots. Okay. And then they realized that it sounded too much like loan shark. And yeah. they were like, okay, we're trying to do mortgages here. It sounds, it doesn't sound very good to be compared to a loan shark. Yeah. So they changed it to I own, which also wasn't a very good name, but no. back then everything started with an I or an E like e-loan and you know, whatever yeah. uh, eBay. Um, so I started in customer support as well. And this was the late nineties. And um, eventually my, my degree in college was in marketing. So I eventually, after about a year and a half working there, I got an opportunity to go into marketing okay. um, with another tech company. And mm -hmm. uh, that one was called real.com. The movie, it was a movie site like Blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, so they did DVDs mm -hmm. through the mail. And uh, so this, a lot of this stuff is like, it was before it's time. So they were doing DVDs before, you know, Netflix and all that. I think they were doing VHS tapes. They, they actually had a brick and mortar store in Berkeley. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. it was like the one store versus, you know, Blockbuster at the time was yeah. thousands of yeah. yeah. And they were owned by a Hollywood video, which I don't know if you're... Uh, yeah, that. definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I know, I know who that is. And all of those, all those companies are no longer around. But, uh, <laughs> but that's how we got started. And we won't go through all the companies we worked, we worked, we worked at because we worked at a number of them. But I, I always tended to work for smaller ones, and yeah. I also worked for a couple of bigger ones like eBay mm -hmm. uh, and StubHub. Uh, I worked for some smaller ones that you you may be familiar with, like Lumosity is one. They do yep. brain things. Yeah, yep. um, I worked for them for a while. I was the head of marketing there. And I worked for um, a company called Tickle, which originally was called Emo. They did online quizzes and tests and personality tests. So they were also a little ahead of their time. Yeah. And they did online dating. So you definitely were the riskier one who took the yeah. like little weird quirky jobs and she she took the more stable ones. Well, Correct. that's good. You, you have to have balance, you know? Um, exactly. And exactly. and. I mean, that goes to, you know, balance in life, but also balance in investing. So I'm sure like right. you, maybe you, you're like, oh, we should invest in Tesla. And maybe she's like, oh, let's go with Microsoft or, you know what it means? It's good to have that balance, um, right. you know? So, um, yeah, but well. yeah, I, I want to talk about kind of, I was reading and correct me if I'm wrong. I want to talk about kind of how you were forced into this freedom lifestyle. And what I mean forced by is that, I think you both lost your jobs within a month. 
of each yep. other and we're like okay well we're just gonna go travel and realize that's what you actually like love doing and did not go back to work you want to go into detail about that yeah yeah sure so yeah so at that point um i had kind of like gotten bit by the startup bug and so i was working at a startup um and and dylan was at a small like a, a tiny company that was maybe 20 people and he got laid off and we're like, all right, well, it was like the fourth time he'd been laid off. So it was, it was no big deal. Um, at that point, we had actually moved, we had sold our condo in San Francisco and moved to Oakland, which at the time, the price differential between Oakland and San Francisco was probably about half. So we did what we like to call geo-arbitrage, where you move to a less expensive location, but you still maintain your current salary. Mm -hmm. um, so we moved mm -hmm. over to Oakland, uh, bought a condo in Jack London Square, and paid off our mortgage. So for us, that was a huge financial burden off of our backs. Like we yeah. didn't. The only thing we had to worry about for from housing was property tax and our HOA, our HOA dues. So mm -hmm. that was an immeasurable relief. Yeah. Um, so when Dylan got laid off it wasn't really that big of a deal because we at least had my income and we uh -huh. didn't have a mortgage. And then, you know, fast forward four weeks later, <laughs> I get laid off. Yeah. And you know, my first reaction was, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> now we can go travel. Cause we, right. you know, the, the thing with two people working in the, in, you know, working at the same time, it's really hard to coordinate schedules and find a time that fits both people's schedules to go traveling. And we, yeah. You know, we especially when you start at different times, you know, you have to accrue like your sick leave, your vacation. So it, it's very exactly. difficult. And also like our, the type of work that we did. So Allison was a project manager. So when she start, would start a project, she'd be on that project for months and you couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, you can't take off in the middle of a project. And so that was, uh, yeah. that was a little challenging too. And, and I was always in charge of marketing and marketing, you know, there's a little bit of seasonality to it, depending on the product, but for the most part, it's kind of hard to take a lot of time off. And so we would carve out, carve out sort of like small vacations here and there, but we weren't able to really go out and do like a couple of weeks in Europe or yeah. you know, things like that. <clears throat> and so that's what we, what we found was something that we really enjoyed doing once we had the time. Yeah. Um, and we always thought we'd go back to work. Right. We tried. We, we, when we got back from our vacation, we went, we updated our LinkedIn profiles and we updated our resumes and sent them out and went on job interviews. And frankly, people were just miserable. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this one guy that Dylan inter interviewed with, I think he said he was going bald because he was pulling his hair out. I think he was, I think I couldn't tell if he was joking or not. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, why would I want to work here after you just told right. me that? Right, exactly. It, it was one of those food delivery services that's no longer around. But yeah, I mean, we just realized like we weren't curing cancer. We weren't like Allison's dad doesn't want to retire because he's building um, skyscrapers in New York City. Like we weren't doing things that were necessarily like improving the world or society. If we were, maybe we would have kept on working, but we were just working jobs that were occasionally fun and interesting and challenging. You were just working just to have yeah. the income to pay the mortgage, but you already had the mortgage paid off. So I right. want to go, were you listening to Dave Ramsey before? Like, we, back and <laughs> not, not we, at that point. So when, you know, so, you know, after we like went through a bunch of interviews and realized that this, this was just ridiculous. You yeah. know, Dylan was looking at our finances and realized that, you know, 
maybe given what, you know, our current expenses and how much we have, you know, he did the math on his hundreds of spreadsheets and realized <laughs> that we had kind of like backed ourselves into this concept. And, you know, up until then, so that was six years ago, we still had never heard of any of this, the fire movement or Dave yep. Ramsey until two years mm. after. So mm. we were just kind of like floating around on our own thinking we had just kind of, you know, created created world peace in a way. Like it was just like this yeah. concept of, oh my God, we can actually retire. And trying to explain to our friends like what we were doing, they thought we were crazy. Well, it also wasn't like a big thing back then as well, right. you know, like- right. It was a, no, I'm going to get a corporate job. I need to get a corporate job. Like even entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. It was like the entrepreneurs were hidden and, and people, you know, didn't really believe that you were entrepreneurship. I don't even think the word was there, but um, so right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's super interesting um, because, you know, a lot of people, they say, I want to retire by blah, blah, blah. But what are you doing in the moment to make that happen? So even though this retirement kind of came out of nowhere and, uh, bad circumstances from being fired from your, your job, um, you kind of were already prepared. So were you like taught financial literacy young? Like how did you just have that stuff in your bank? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, and we could talk about our, our one of our two books later, for Investing for Kids, because one of the reasons we wrote that is because they don't really, they really don't teach financial literacy in schools. And, and so we didn't have that education growing up. Uh, Allison had a little bit from her parents. They were a little bit more uh, savvy with their money. I was raised by a single mother who uh, was a waitress actually her whole life. Um, I, I grew up very, I wouldn't say poor, but definitely like, kind of paycheck to paycheck. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I, I just, you know, I was lucky. I got into a good school system and I got a good education and uh, I met, I married a very smart woman who also like knew, knew at least like the basics of finances pretty well. And yeah. so we got interested in, you know, I, I think, well, when I mentioned that I worked at that, um, that company Home Shark, what they did was mortgages online and it, they were also way ahead of the game, but that got me interested in real estate. Um, so we bought our first condo in the late nineties in Oak. Actually that, that one was in Oakland in the Oakland Hills. Oh, okay. And we bought it for $186,000. So Jesus. as you know, do you still have it? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> Would you sell it? Yeah, we sold it a long time ago. We, oh, okay. we bought it in 99 and we sold it like a year and a half later because we wanted to move back to San Francisco because that's where we were working and our friends were there. Yeah. But uh, but it got us interested in real estate and we started buying and selling places over the years. So that got us initially interested. And then I think uh, as far as stocks, we just were like, let's just invest in a 401k at work. Mm -hmm. And it just started with that. Right? So so you, you guys were heavily invested in your 401k. Did they match at the time? No. No. Oh, okay. Wow. You did it all alone. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. When people talk about getting, you know, getting, getting 401k matches now, I'm like, oh, you kids. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know, uh, you don't know what it was like back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, we had no 401k matches. We didn't have, um, like, you know, RSUs and all that fun, like, no, no ETFs. I think, uh, yeah, right. No, yeah. It was, it was strict. I think back then, the big, the big fund to, to buy was Fidelity. Magellan, which is mm. like an old mm. close. It's a closed fund. I don't even, you know, I, <laughs> it was funny because, you know, we didn't know, like we had no idea what the, you know, what 
and expense ratios are or front load, back load, all that stuff. It was just, okay, well, what looks, what looks good? What, what did really well last year? Let's invest in things that did really well last year. You know what it sounds, it sounds like like pretty much (laughs) the whole time you guys were just misguided in a way. Right. But like you guys had no idea about any of this yet you were learning it along the way and just like we'll figure it out you just kind of had that like nonchalant attitude like you know we're invest here yeah. yeah and and it worked out it worked out yeah. <laughs> i think i watched a couple of Susie orman shows on pbs back in the day so i like i knew that there was a concept of retiring and like you know 401k so i i knew like that much but yeah the idea of oh, you have to put in X amount over X amount of time and compound interest. That sort of stuff was just like- You're like, what? <laughs> I, yeah, I think I read a little bit of Warren Buffett. I read the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a couple of those books, which in hindsight, I don't know that I would re- necessarily recommend them. They're, they're not too bad, but um, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Juan. Like we just were, st- we were doing the right things without realizing it. Like we were just- Perfect, perfectly said, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we we definitely made some mistakes. Like Allison said, we didn't really know, like when we had a 401k, we didn't know where to allocate the money within it. And so the only, I did know that diversification was a good idea, but I made a really weird choice in my 401k. I said, okay, diversification is a good idea. So I'm going to put the same percentage of every single thing that they offer. And without looking at what was in each of those funds, I think my company at the time offered like 12 different funds and I just put like, you know, 8% in every single one. Yeah. And live and living very modest. A lot of people forget that you can't, you can't just invest and then still live the same way or else you're going to fall into debt. So, um, which is another thing. Some, some people don't know. I, I, we're going to talk about it, but your book goes into like very good detail of explaining everything perfectly laid out and like almost like a chronological order. Um, but we'll talk about it in in a minute. I, I wanted to ask because, um, it's a super random question, but it just shows how there is such a lack of financial literacy in the, the uh, education system. Um, and I don't understand why, right? Um, but like, I was gonna ask like, how many, how many times in the past year or how many times in the past 10 years have you used the Pythagorean theorem? <laughs> right? Zero. I'm okay. not even sure I remember what that is. And I went to <laughs> science high school, so. How, how many times have you done your taxes? She does them every year. I actually do our taxes. Yeah. So why? So why don't we learn taxes in school? Like, right. Exactly. exactly. Right. Especially it's kind of because my parents. So my parents got divorced about ten years ago, and my mother is now on her own, and she has to do her own taxes, and she is petrified. She's my seven, mom is too. My mom is seven years old, and she's just she's convinced that the IRS, if she's off by a penny, the IRS is going to come and throw her in jail. FBI for the rest of her life, and it's. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's, gener- if it's a generational thing, um, but, but there is a lot of fear in the older generations about money and, you know, talking about money. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about salaries. You, you know, it's just a taboo sort of subject. Um, and I think as, as, the, as we're moving along in time, people are becoming more comfortable with it. I mean, I'm sure your generation talks about some people talk about money all the time. Um, Some people flaunt it. <laughs> so I, you know, I, but yeah, it's definitely something that I wish schools did focus more on the more practical things in life. Cause frankly, 
I mean, I, I studied French in high school. Have I spoken French since then? And, you Maybe know, when we get to France, yeah. I do, but, yeah. you know, it's like... That's also, the Pythagorean theorem, though. At least people <laughs> use French when we travel. They, they offered, like, pottery classes in high school. The pottery classes. Yeah. They offered, like, random electives, right? You had to choose an elective. Yet nothing about money was an elective. Right. Nothing about computers was an elective until maybe after, obviously after the dot-com. But, like, yeah. it's just ridiculous, you know? Like... Yeah, coding should be a, a, a elective. Now it is, but back when I was in high school, coding was not an option. Mm, wow. Yeah, so. that's interesting. You know, I mean, we're a lot older than you are, but when I was in when I was in high school, one of the one of the uh, most useful classes I took was typing, and the reason it was useful is because now you know, then once computers became prominent, I was able to type on the keyboard really yep. easily and fast and all that. Um, you know what, you know, I, I totally agree. Uh, so I, I guess I'm a little bit old enough. Uh, we, uh, I, I took typing class in elementary school. Oh, for, wow. Yeah. So I, yeah. I guess it was phasing out right then and there, but, uh, that was probably the most useful class because I can type fast now. I know I can do it without looking, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, it's yeah. And then it was always fun to try and beat your typing score, right? Like in under a minute, right? How many words right. can you get down? But yeah. Yeah. I never learned it. We um, use actual typewriters though. So if you messed up, you got to use the whiteout to get it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't use the typewriters. <laughs> I, I used the big Old keyboards. Stuff. They were like this thick though. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, that's great. That is great. Um, so we're pretty much in the middle of the episode. We like to do a segment called the Hella Misguided segment. Hella, because we're Bay Area natives. Um, and in this segment, um, I want you to kind of give me a summary of what you would tell your 18-year-old self. If you were to write yourself a letter at 18 years old, what would you say? Because, you know, a lot of us want guidance. A lot of us need a good teacher, right? A, a lot of us need good parents to kind of guide us on what to expect from the world. You want to start? Ooh. Um, I would tell my 18-year-old self to take a break. Like, okay. you know, I, so actually it's funny because when I was going through high, uh, the college interview process, someone asked me what I would do if I didn't get in college for a year and I freaked out. Like I had no idea what to do if I didn't go to college right away. Like yeah. that just, it just filled me with this fear of failure that I had done something wrong. Yeah. Um, but knowing now what I, you know, I would say it's okay to take some time off and to fail at things. Like not every, you're not gonna be successful 100% of the time. And you actually learn more from your mistakes than you do from from your successes so absolutely kind to yourself and, and and a lot of people these days are so scared to to fail um and and i'm not sure why like is it because of society pressure like are we not supposed to fail like you know um i, I i'll give it up but like my my uh generation is kind of you know, promoting to take risk i would say right they're they're more financial aware they're more um you know, out there. Let's be entrepreneurs. Let's start businesses, right? But why? Why do you guys think people, the majority of people, are scared to fail? I think they they just see you just see that all these examples of people who fail and they end up, you know, 
online at the food bank or they're they're desperately looking for a job and so they end up taking any job they can because they they have to pay the bills and you're you're just shown bad examples of what happens when you fail instead of looking at the good examples of when you fail because you know you, you didn't you didn't take that job or you got fired from your from your first job and now you're looking for a new job that turns out to be a better job like you don't really hear stories about the good things that happen yeah you just hear the bad the bad things that happen it could Absolutely. also um you know there's there's a saying that the last generation is sort of the, the american idol generation where kids were sort of put into a position where the parents always said that they were amazing and awesome and you know, uh, you, yeah. see, you, know you see some examples they call it american idol syndrome or whatever because yeah. they would go on american idol and think they were amazing but they, they a lot of times weren't really or it's like it's like the the give your uh your kid a trophy for third place right right stuff right. like exactly. that it's like you're yeah yeah right you're yeah or just for participating yeah, yeah. and uh so maybe a lot of kids just feel like they're letting their parents down if they fail or they're not they're not really living up to their potential um but yeah i think it's definitely good to fail put yourself out there um i think allison also hit the nail on the head like you know there's definitely a fear of if you do fail you know, is this going to ruin the rest of your life financially? Um, you know, how are you going to get yourself back on your feet? The one good thing though, and, and something that young people should really, you know, feel good about is that when you're young, that's, that is the time to take certain types of risks, calculated risks. But the reason is you have so much time to make up for it. So if you're investing or trying to start a business or what, what have you, if it does kind of fail, you learn from it. Um, and you have decades, you know, hopefully knock on wood, but you have, you should have decades left to recover from that. Whereas if you took a really big risk and failed when you were 65 or seven, you know, you mm -hmm. might not, you might not be able to recover from that, but absolutely. Hey, it all goes back to investing because it's like you invest riskier when you're younger and you're not mm -hmm. going to be investing in risky stocks when you're 70 years old. Right. Um, right. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Is that what you would tell your 18 year old self? Yeah, you know, I was, I was trying to think of what I would actually tell my 18 year old self. And I think it, in a lot of ways, I would just tell myself to continue to do what I was doing. I, at, when I was 18, I was actually a sophomore in college already. I was, I was a little young. Oh, yeah. a genius over here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my parents just, they, they put me in kindergarten when I was four. And so I was always a year ahead of everybody uh, or a year younger. And you so, think that you think that worked better for you? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You no, think no, that worked I, worked better or in your honest, favor? Yeah, that's one of the things I've thought about. I actually wish they would not have done that because it, it would it made it in some ways it made it uh, it was a positive because I had to really push myself to to keep up with kids that were a year older. Uh -huh. But I think if I would have been my with my peers, I would have been able to do better in things like sports and stuff like that. Because when you're when you're like 13, 12, you know, and you're competing with all the kids that are a year older, it's a little tougher, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I, I was lucky I was a little bit bigger than kids my age, but at least taller. So I was able to sort of fit in like most, a lot of kids didn't know I was younger, mm. but anyway, um, so I was a little bit, you know, I was a little ahead of the game in sophomore year in college. I also did an internship with um, IBM for six months. Um, I, that was when I was 18. And so, those were things that were a little scary at the time. And this kind of goes back to taking those risks. I was like, you know, let me just take, you know, take that six months, go to, it was in Connecticut at the time. 
um, and just take that risk. I'm going to leave school. I'm going to leave all my friends for six months, but this could be something really cool for my resume. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing is travel and do things like that. That's why we're tr so into travel now. Cause we didn't do it as much when we were younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just taking advantage of the stuff you missed out on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I get it. So how'd you guys come up with the movement, uh, retire by 45? That's in? really all Dylan's. That was me. That's, so, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> so when we, when we, when he, was, we, he was in marketing, remember. <laughs> yeah, so when we first, uh, I'll give you, I'll try to give you a, a relatively succinct answer. Okay. When we first got, uh, when we first got laid off, we actually started a different blog. It was called Experienceify. And it was about having. Uh, I, like, I like retire by 45 better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, yeah. Trying to explain that. But it was a little bit different. It was about traveling and stuff. But one of the blog posts that I wrote was about retiring early and it got a lot of buzz. And I was like, huh, maybe this is kind of a topic that I should focus on a little bit more. And, you know, I just went and saw what domains were available and retired by 40 was already taken. So we retired around like 43. So I was like, retired by 45. It's a, it sounds good. It's easy yeah. to say. It's easy to understand. Yeah. And we actually did it. Um, so boom. Yeah, that, that was how that was born. Nice. And, um, you know, like Allison mentioned earlier, we didn't know anything about the movement and like the fire movement when we first launched it. Um, but then we actually found out about it on a podcast. Some, somebody asked us to be on their podcast. They saw our website and then they started talking about the fire movement and we yeah. got in, right. into it more. And we're like, oh, well, you know, since you're aware of the fire movement and Dylan is texting me on the side, have you heard what, what is fire? I'm like, I have no idea. Let's go to the trusty search engine. And <laughs> what yeah. is fire? You know, you get like all kinds of flame related things. And it, it took us a little bit of time to figure out what, what it was. And we're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess we did do that. <laughs> so, okay. So you guys retire at, at around 43 um, and you start this movement. Now, how are you marketing yourselves to kind of to kind of guide others like you you obviously want to share your story and and success on that it is possible to do this um so how are you getting to other parents other people how are we know? getting the word out yeah yeah so when i was actually working um like i mentioned i was in marketing but i had really big budgets uh at one point i was managing a 30 million a year uh 30 million dollar a year budget for online marketing and so when we started this, I didn't want to spend money on it. So I didn't want to really spend money on Facebook and Google and all that. I just wanted to like put out good content and okay. see if I can, you know, make it go uh, sort of organic, you know, sort of grow organically. Yeah. So that's what we've done. I mean, our site isn't huge, but I mean, it's gotten enough traction now that it's, it's led to, you know, things like this podcasts, book opportunities, speaking opportunities, things like that, things that are just fun for us. Like, these are, this whole thing is a big hobby for us, really. Yeah. Uh, but the way that, that we do out. it, the way that I sort of do it is I just, for me, it's all about first putting out really good content. So that's something I've mentioned to your, your um, audience. It's like, don't, um, you know, uh, don't go so much for qu quantity, really focus on the quality. I, okay. in my opinion. Um, if you're a blogger, you know, some people 
pump out like tons of blog posts. You know, maybe they're like 500 words, a thousand words, but there's not a ton of substance there. Yep. I, I take a different approach. I go for like 2000 words, uh, 2,500 words, and I try to pack in a ton of information. And, and Alice and I work, work on these blog posts together. So we put both of our heads together and we try to put um, content together that's really interesting. And, and it may not resonate for everybody, obviously. Yeah. But um, we want it to be a little bit more meaningful and things that they're not necessarily going to see everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, so we draw on a lot of personal uh, experience and that sort of thing. So that's one of the big things. And, um, you know, Allison's been getting into Instagram lately. So, you know, pick your poison in terms of like your social media. Uh, you find a couple of things that work well for you and you like. You have to get into TikTok. I think, I think your guys' personality, exactly. you guys have a good personality that's like outgoing. And, and if you're like, just literally like vlogging your, your mm. travel trips, your hiking trips, and just, you know, I think it, the, the amount of reach you can get to, uh, like, just for example, the, uh, two nights ago, I posted a video on TikTok of uh, me like hiding under a bed. Um, <laughs> from from playing hide and seek with my my kid right and it's just a sound it's not my actual kid sound but and and the kid was counting and he was skipping so so many numbers and all i did in the comment was say when you're playing hide and seek with your kid and you realize he needs to go to school right <laughs> Nice. And overnight, I had like 30 comments. Um, I've really? right now I'm at uh, 2000 views. Right. Oh, and I've posted oh, like 10 videos before that. And they're like less than 200 views. So it literally yeah. just it just happens. And I think like when and, and, you know, you do the hashtags parents of TikToks. Every time I do parents of TikToks, dads of TikToks, it mm -hmm. always goes viral no matter what. That's interesting. So yeah, we did, we played around with TikTok a little bit with our book. We went to a playground and I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> was handing the book out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I almost fell off a swing because I was yeah. trying to hold the book and swing and talk at the same time. It was, and then I tried to overlay this like Pink Floyd song about money <laughs> on top of it. And yeah. It was right. fun, but I mean, that's a good example. Actually, it's funny. There was, there's an author group on Facebook and one of the authors in there swears by TikTok. And I thought yeah. it was interesting, like for an author, for a book, like, and he was like, yeah, I, I never got this much traction on anything until I got into TikTok. So. It's, it's amazing it, because they haven't figured out the algorithm yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Instagram, they, it's super hard on Instagram now yeah. to kind of get your stuff everywhere. It only goes to a certain, you know, friend group, right. Um, TikTok, it just, it has the ability to explode and go everywhere with just, um, yeah. one video. So yeah, um, definitely, definitely invest your time in that. I mean, you okay. have the, t you have the time. You the yeah. All you have to do is vlog yourself on a hike or something, say something funny here and there. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, cool, cool. And let's go ahead and, and dive into the book since we just talked about it um, in your quirky video. But <laughs> let's go ahead and dive into investing for kids, how to save, invest, and grow money. How, how'd you come Here up it is, with it? actually. So, oh, anyway. yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to just tell you a little bit about it? Yep. Why, yeah. why'd, you, why'd you even, why are you writing a book to kids? How'd that come up? Want to start? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we don't have kids. So we we had finished our first book, um, Start Your Fire, and our publisher, a local publisher in Emeryville, 
said, oh, you know, we've got this other book that, that you know, we, we think you'd be great to write it. And so we, you know, we, we, we submitted a writing sample and I guess they liked our style, um, which is funny because we don't know how to talk to kids. We don't <laughs> have kids in our, like, we don't really have kids in our lives. So it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a struggle trying honestly to, to create content that, you know, the age range for the book is from eight to 12. And so, you know, as an eight-year-old developmentally, there, there are concepts that I don't know that they really understand as well as you, they would if they were 12. So then um, why even try to write a book to an eight-year-old? If you know, like, it's so hard to get them to sit down and read. Like, I hate reading <laughs> now, so. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point, we wanted, we wanted it to be an experience that kids could go through with their parents, mm-hmm. their guardians, their grandparents, their whoever, whatever adult they live with, um, and kind of be able to talk with them and have their have their parent or have their adult person, because um, we we don't assume that people have parents, um, but we wanted them to kind of have a partnership with with their adult. Is that the reason for the uh, problem solving in there? I love how you're like, go solve this problem, etc. You know what I mean? It's kind of an interactive thing they can do with those guardians. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the the challenge for us was we wanted it to be informative. We wanted it to be fun. We wanted to have like those kind of things, activities that that would get them engaged. Um, You really have to do things to, I think, to really learn. Um, You know, it's one thing to read it on a page, but a few activities, if you have some quizzes, if you have some puzzles, um, it makes it a little more interesting and it gets you to think a little bit more about, you know, how to apply some of these concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, this was, it was, it was actually, a, a, it was a really great challenge and it was a lot of fun. And I kind of had a feeling this book was going to take off. Um, and it's done so much better than we, than we expected because our first book, which was, um, like Allison mentioned, Start Your Fire, was all about financial independence retiring early and it kind of our sweet spot yeah yeah it's it's our sweet spot and it you know it flowed right out of us it was actually fairly easy to write because it's stuff we blog about um and that one you know it's done okay but it hasn't sold a a ton of uh copies um but the investing for kids just went crazy and it got it you know tons of great reviews how long have you been number one i'm sorry so how long have you been number one in the children's category Oh man, many, it's how? almost like as far back as I can remember. I don't know how, like at one point I just started looking at the ratings and the rankings and all that. And I was like, hey, Allison, we're number one in children's money. And then we were number one in another similar category. And ever since I looked at that, it was probably like a month or so after the book came out, we've always stayed there. And <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> one, one day I saw somebody move ahead of us. And I was like, oh, maybe that's the end of our run. And we're, we're just going to start slipping away. And like the next day we we're back to number one. Um, but did you have a marketing plan. You're the marketing guru. Like, did you just release it and say, let's see what it does. And, and, and it really did well. Or did you actually yeah. go out there and invest? Yeah. So this time around, we did do a lot more marketing than we did in our first book. And that probably helped. Um, okay. We really, you know, so if, if you or your listeners are into writing, um, some of the things you want to do, you definitely want to get as many reviews as possible. So start off with all the people you know before your book even goes out there and say, hey, guys, 
please, 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 you know, uh, I'll give you a free copy or whatever it takes. Um, read my book and you put a review on Amazon and, you know, and get as many people to do that as possible. The more reviews, the better. And even reviews that aren't five star, believe it or not, the more reviews quantity wise, the more Amazon will can you get, how do you, how do you do that for someone who's wanting to publish a book? How do you, okay, you put it on Amazon, but how do you get an editorial review or a friend review before it's published? We, what we did was, um, do you want to talk about that? Um, so, I mean, I mean, part of it is we, we work with the marketing group at, with our publisher. So they, mm -hmm. they did a phenomenal job kind of giving us a plan of what to do. And so we, you know, we made sure that we were pushing it out every day on, social media um, you can actually get people like if you um people in the space or like you know that you're going to be in um knitting and you know that there are knitter blogs or, or whatever you can go reach out to those folks um who are who are the influencers in mm -hmm. your in your niche and ask them to do a review and they can do either an editorial review on Amazon where you can set up your page, your book page ahead of time mm -hmm. and do pre-sales and they'll do like, you know, Dave Ramsey said that this book was great because blah, 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 blah. Do they have to have an Amazon account to do a review? To do an editorial, you do not. Okay. Um, it could just be anyone because that's, that's the space that you control um, and you can put in, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah. whatever you want or you know you can literally like. just put in a review that you made up right like that is that how well, easy it is yeah i mean as long as you don't attribute it to someone but like no but dave ramsey mark cuban right <laughs> it's exactly. a list of names but. exactly um but in the in the actual um reviews you have to have, um, I think you have, according to the Amazon requirements, you have to be a US-based customer. Okay. You have to have bought uh, $50 worth of merchant of stuff on Amazon in the previous year. Otherwise, okay. they don't let you put a review, a review in. Um, I think those are the only two criteria. Oh, the only, the other, the third criteria is you can't have the same last name because they don't want you to have a family member do it. So if your last name is Jones, I don't know, that might be a little bit of a problem. You know, yeah, if your last yeah. name is Smith. You just have 15 Joneses reviewing your book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Family exactly. loves him. <laughs> but we, we also had a little bit of a head start too, because we had the, the blog. And so we had an email list and all that. So we push, push it out to all the people on our email list. Um, but to one of your earlier questions about it, we also, our publisher did send out physical copies to a lot of people. They also had digital copies mm -hmm. so that people could actually read it beforehand and get the reviews up. So there's a lot, of, there's a lot of different strategies you can use. Right. We went to it. Facebook and asked people if they were, you know, especially parents of kids and Facebook age. groups. Facebook yeah. So we groups. went to a lot of Facebook groups. I went to all of my, my high school and my college mm. um, group pages because they all have kids in the eight to 12 range or the nieces and nephews or whatever. Um, so that actually helped us get a bunch of reviews. And I mean, I, I think the, the, our publisher asked for tw 20 or 25 and we ended up with 30 at that point. So, you know, we were pretty excited. We thought 30 is pretty good number. Yeah. Um, and then it kept like kept going. And yeah. I think, I think part of it is that we released the book about, 10 days before Christmas. Oh, okay. So oh, it's yeah. like the perfect Christmas present or yeah. holiday present for people because, you know, 
people are always looking for something to get kids. And it's, it was, you know, it's like under $10. So it's like you the know, perfect stocking stuff. Who's thinking of getting their kid, a kid, a, a book about money? Like, I know, right. You know what, what I mean? It's like, yeah. I, I don't even know how do you, I would be like, the first thought is toys, not a book, you know? Right. So it's like, it, yeah, it's, tricky. it's interesting. I, and I think also maybe with the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. people are inside a lot. So maybe they were thinking, you know, I got to give my kids something to do something to read and I think it also like, you know, the pandemic also hit everyone's pocketbook so hard. And, you know, when it first, the pandemic first started, the stock market went way down. So I think people got really anxious about money and finances and stocks. And so when our book started getting out there, it's like, oh, we got to teach our kids about this stuff. It's really important. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, that, that's, I mean, that, yeah, that's great. Um, I, I appreciate you guys um, kind of going into detail about, you know, every question. It, it really helps um, yeah. kind of break it down. And, and, and that's exactly what you guys did in the book is you guys, the way the book is laid out is super easy to understand um, for an adult, for a kid. Um, but it just makes you think about money differently. And I love that. Um, so I'm glad it's doing well for you guys, really. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, the yeah. fact that adults like it actually is sort of like cherry on top of the Sunday. You yeah, know? And, yeah. You know, we've gotten a lot of good feedback from from adults who are like, wow, I learned a lot from this too, you know, yeah. it my kids, so. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, well, yeah, that's that's great. We're gonna go ahead and move on to uh, wrapping up the show. Um, the way I like to do it is with a section called Guided Conclusions, where I ask you a question. It could be funny, quirky, um, serious, um, anything. Um, Today's question is going to be, if you could say three words to the person listening to inspire or motivate them, what would it be? You have three words. Ooh, wow. That's a really good question. You got um, to guide them. We're trying I to know, guide. <laughs> um, I'll go back to the, to the previous thing we talked about. Fail forward frequently. Oh, I like that. The three Ooh, Fs. A little alliteration there. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> it's like you wrote books before or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll stick with that answer. That's yeah. I'm not All right, Koi, cool. you got to give one. You got to give one, Dylan. Come on. Oh, I got to give one? Yeah, you got to um, give one. Go for it. So, oh, it, again, okay. it's sort of the same concept of just... You know, it's like the Nike slogan, just do it. I yeah. mean, especially for your audience being younger. And I don't mean like do something crazy that's going to get you, you know, thrown in jail. or Throw, throw, throw all your money in Forex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do anything crazy, but go for it. And, you know, don't, pre we, we, if I can just do a really quick story. We were doing a, we were listening to a podcast yesterday and one of the guys on there is a financial, he, he's, financial samurai or another financial mad scientist. Anyway, he had a really cool story about when he started doing things that were a little bit more crazy. And he, he, he put it in this way. I wanted to think about a world where I either did do something cool and crazy or where I didn't. And I always, I'm always in the world where I didn't, but I wanted to test out the world where I did. And I thought that was kind of a cool way to think about it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, Kind of almost like the Black Mirror episodes on yeah. Netflix, if you've seen those. It's oh, like yeah. the, almost like the what if or like it will be. Right. <laughs> like, you know? Don't live with regrets. So give, it a, give it a shot. Yeah, I love that. Don't live with regrets. That might be the title of this. Good job. <laughs> right. 
Um, cool. Well, I appreciate you guys coming up here. I really do. Um, it's Saturday, mid, mid afternoon, beautiful weather. You guys should be hiking yeah. right now. <laughs> we're gonna go for a hike i just i did a swim before the podcast now uh, it's time for a hike there you go there you go well um do you want to share all your social medias and where people can reach you your obviously your website your books etc yeah if you the easiest way is to go to our website retireby45.com because on there you'll see everything else you'll see our books you'll see our facebook twitter uh instagram and linkedin handles and you'll be able to contact us on our email. Hmm. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, do you do you want to shout out? Do you have uh, different social medias like Instagram or whatever? Your Instagram. Yeah, we handles? we predominantly do it through through um, Instagram and Instagram and Twitter. We're retire underscore by underscore forty five. Perfect. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I appreciate yeah, you, you guys on either of those. Okay. As well. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, well, that's it, everyone. Thank you for listening. Make sure you like, 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 and subscribe and share this episode. We really appreciate it. And make sure you go check out retireby45.com um, and learn more about Allison and Dylan. Um, that's it. This is the Misguided Podcast. We're intend to guide you to a better future. My name is Juwan. I'm sitting here with Allison and Dylan from the Bay Area. Thank you. Yeah. College kid, no scholarship, talk a lot of shit Trying to feed his family, don't dig too deep into politics Hoes used to sleep on him like he ain't even got a whip Rather check for new J's, true religion, proud of shit Oh, that nigga rap, must be whack cause he ain't got a hit And niggas see him grinding, but they ain't trying to acknowledge it He know he gon' shine, he patient, already timing And his shawty know it too, you would've thought she was Protestant The way her thoughts were forming, living dormant, that just ain't for me Trying to live enormous cause the shit I wanted ain't for free Trying to live my life cause you don't get to live it twice But till Nigga crap out, I'ma keep rolling these dice Everybody used to clown him, now it's like, oh yeah, he nice Pie-ass niggas, they just try and get a slice But you, you been down, and me, I'm the man now And all the shit we used to fight about, I understand now Can I holler at you? Can I holler at you? Say, let me holler at you And yeah, I know it's been a while, but ain't no better time than now Can I holler at you? Hey, can I holler at you? Say, let me holla at you. And yeah, I know it's been a while, but yeah. Yeah, ain't hey, things changed, but you, you stayed the same since the get-go Still don't understand what you would put up with my shit for I guess it's love, I always knew I pressed my luck I just never gave a fuck, but now a nigga is an info Sneaking out the crib at all hours of the night Just to come and scoop you up, we getting higher than a kite Ain't no turning back the time, we was young and living life But looking back, I fucked up, maybe our timing wasn't right Now I'm gonna call home just to make sure you alright Cause I be thinking about you, just talked to Vaughn last week about you I'm still growing, baby Baby, I'm still growing, I'm about to be a daddy, it's crazy, my girl showing Shit, I'm lying, hope you still got that sense of humor And I pray that you ain't feeding in all these fucking rumors that you hearing about me Ain't heard from you in a year and counting It's all love, plain and simple, damn, I miss you Can I holler at you? Can I holler at you? Say, let me holler at you And yeah, I know it's been a while, but ain't no better time than now Can I holler at you? Hey, can I holler at you? 
Say let me holla at you And yeah, I know it's been a while, yeah. but She said it's strange Funny you said you never change And now you out here getting big I swear you just don't act the same Am I tripping? You even started talking to me different And lately you been too busy Just to take the time and listen Not to mention all these bitches in my mentions on that bullshit How you up and fuck these chicks I gotta go to school with Nigga already tripping and you ain't even famous, you ain't shit All this time and you was on that same shit Can't believe I wasted all these years and all these tears With your ass will make you think that you can up and reappear When you feel like, and yeah that's sorry shit It sounded real nice, but this shit ain't no fairy tale For me this here is real life Been through way too much with you to say that we ain't still tight But you and me together, even you know when feel right I fucks with you don't know why I still put up with you I'm stuck with you, you my nigga, damn I miss you Can I holla at you? Can I holla at you? Say let me holla at you And yeah I know it's been a while But ain't no better time than now Can I holla at you Hey can I holla at you Say let me holla at you And yeah I know it's been a while But